0: Lord, we do thank You that You are indeed a holy God. May all that with, that is within us cry holy, and worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And Father, we thank You that You've made us holy, not by our good works, but by Your great work upon the cross. Lord, I pray right now as we go to Your Word, that You would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what Your Spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I heard things went really well last Sunday when I gave Pastor Bill about three hours' notice. The Bible says be ready in season and out of season. Amen. And some of you know, I got sick last week and the vaunted Saturday, late Saturday night call, and so praise the Lord. It's good to be back. I missed you guys. It's only been a week. Now, 2 Corinthians, we know this, and again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but if you're new here, just to catch you up, Corinth was one of the most vile and wicked cities of the day. It was a city that was filled with idolatry. It was a city that was extremely wealthy. It was a city that was caught away and caught up in a lot of the philosophies of the day. It was a port city, a beach city, if you will. All this sounding familiar a little bit, right? A city that's very wealthy. A uh, Real estate there was probably, probably expensive. Not Santa Cruz expensive, but probably expensive. And so this was a place where, again, there was so much godlessness. And Paul had gone there and planted a church, and God was doing a great work there. And five years go by, and word comes to Paul that they're beginning to fall into the traps of the world that surrounded them. And that's a word for every one of us, that we can so easily fall into the traps of the world that surrounds us. We're to be in the world, but not of it. We're to have minister to the world but have no fellowship with it. And so Paul writes this letter exhorting them, 1 Corinthians again instructing them. Many responded and repented to first his first letter, 1 Corinthians. Now 2 Corinthians comes along, and in this letter he's basically spending a lot of time defending himself because among those who did not receive his rebuke or receive his exhortation were those who elevated themselves and considered themselves to be the real apostles, Because we're so much better looking than Paul, and we're so much more eloquent than Paul, and so you should listen to us. And Paul, you know, he stutters anyway, and, you know, he's kind of a short little bow-legged guy with bushy eyebrows. Why do you want to listen to him? And so they were downplaying Paul and putting off his word and didn't want to hear what he had to say, and they rejected it because of the messenger. And you know what? The same is happening today. There are people that reject Paul's letters in the Bible because they don't like the message. It's not about the messenger, it's about the message, amen? And people are more more caught up with the appearance of men than the content of the message. And so we come to chapter 11 this week, and Paul is now speaking directly again to these false apostles and to the Corinthians, warning them that you're being caught away by the charisma of men when you need to look at the content of the message. Quit looking at how eloquent the speaker is. And start looking at how the message lines up with the Word of God. And that's the exhortation I have to every one of us. We can turn on TV or we can go visit a church and the speaker's really eloquent and funny and all these kinds of things. And the message is contentless. And you know what? It's God's Word that transforms lives, not charismatic speakers. Amen? And so Paul's heart here is to exhort them, guys, get back to the message. And he's going to address directly some of the false apostles' claims. And so as we go through the first 21 verses of the text this morning, we're going to see again that God's heart is that God alone be glorified, not man. We're to touch not the glory, amen? The last chapter ended with these verses. He says, but he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For he who commends himself is approved, is not approved, but him who the Lord commends. You know what? It doesn't matter how we look before men, but how we stand before God. And these guys judge themselves by themselves. Hey, I'm better than this guy. I'm better than that guy. This guy thinks a lot of me. I must be wonderful. You know what? You're going to stand before God on Judgment Day and nobody else is going to be there. It's not going to be a popularity contest. You've heard me say it many times before. God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. It's what have we done with Jesus that matters. Nothing else does. 1 Samuel 16, 7, Jesus, uh, the Word of God says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And... We need to start looking at the heart of the matter, the heart of the issue, the heart of the man, and not the outward things that we can be so easily drawn away by. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he had addressed this. I'm going to read this quickly. In verse 18 to 21, it says, "...let no one deceive himself. If anyone seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God." The wisdom of this world, the things that people latch on to, is foolishness to God. I was just back in D.C. at a pastor's conference, and I went into the Smithsonian, which is a pretty awesome place, but I went into the Natural History Museum, which is the biggest joke ever, because it's got some neat stuff there, but they always talk about billions of years ago. The wisdom of men is foolishness to God, amen? Being taught evolution, you know, from from the goo to the zoo to you, that whole program, right? That's not true either. That's the foolishness. It's foolishness to God, the wisdom of men. And we need to trust God's word and believe what it says. And this is Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians. Quit looking at man's appearance and look at the heart of the matter. Look at the word of God. Let it be the authority. So we're going to see this clear contrast because Paul is now going to boast. But we're going to see something different about the way Paul boasts and the way these, these charismatic Super apostles, as they termed themselves, boasted. They, they were real arrogant. They're pretty caught up in themselves. They're real proud of themselves. But we're going to see when Paul does boast, and we'll see it mainly next week as we get to the end of the chapter, that Paul doesn't boast in his greatness, but God's greatness. He doesn't boast, doesn't boast in his abilities, but his infirmities. Because in our weakness, that's when God's made strong. And it's those difficulties of life that allows God to shine through us. So let's pick up in verse 1 of a message I titled, Man Looks on the Outward Appearance, but God Looks on the Heart. And we're going to see Paul's, quote, foolish boasting. But we're going to see why he boasts. Because he wants to get the people's eyes back where they need to be. He's going to talk, we're going to see his sincere burden and love and concern for the saints. And then we're going to see the desire he has to warn them about the false apostles in their midst. And can I say that that's my heart this morning. It's to warn each of us. That there are people walking around calling themselves Christians, saying they're of Christ and they are not. And again, that old oh, Pastor Dave, we got to be judgmental this morning. I mean, can't we just sing kumbaya and be good with it, right? You know, get in a circle and just do the, you know. Hey, does the Lord love everybody? Yes. Does he want to see that, does he desire that none should perish? No, not one. Absolutely. But how does Satan appear, as we're going to see in the text this morning, often as an angel of light. Drawing people away. He's not going to show up at your house with a pitchfork and horns growing out of his head. Come and follow me. No one's going for that, right? Or very few people. But instead, he's going to pierce something good that will draw people away. And this is Paul's heart, again, to warn them to keep them from falling into these traps. Let's begin in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 11. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. Bear with me in a little folly. Now, Paul, again, out of his burden and his love and concern for the saints, he's going to now respond to the boasting of these false apostles by again speaking of his own credentials. See, they've drugged Paul through the mud so much that the people didn't believe his words anymore. They said, Oh, yeah, but Paul, you're not as charismatic. Paul, you're just not. You know, these guys are studs, these guys have it all together. And you're just some little bow-legged guy who didn't show up when he said he would, so I don't believe you anymore. And you know what? Again, it's not voted on by men, but called by God. And Paul was a mighty man of God, and these false apostles were angels of, quote, angels of light, again, drawing people away. And so Paul's going to defend himself because, again, they had said, you know, he doesn't have any charisma, he doesn't have the looks, he doesn't have the health, he's just not quite as eloquent as we are. And Paul's going to defend himself again, but he views this as foolishness. Paul hates to talk about himself. Now, I wish that was true of me more, more. How about you? Amen? I'm always on my mind, right? I'm always thinking about me, aren't you? And too often, we're just, you know, we want to get the conversation back to me, right? I mean, isn't that what we do? And that's the prideful part of us. And Paul's heart was, I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about him. I want to talk about the Lord. I want people to hear about him, his love, his grace, his mercy. But it's come to a point where he feels like he has to at least tell them what God has done in his life. He knows it's going to come across like boasting, and he says, you know, bear with me in this folly, because in his mind, that's how he feels about it. Now, the key is, what motivated Paul to do it? It wasn't done to promote himself, but out of a sincere burden and love and concern for the Corinthian believers. He loved them. This is a church he had planted. He'd be like if I left here and five years later I found out things were going sideways here. I mean, it would break my heart. And that's Paul's heart. He's like, these are my sheep. These are the people that I had a chance to live with and pastor and love and serve. And now they're falling away listening to the idle words of men. Verse 2. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. Now, we see the root of Paul's willingness again is, again, not commending himself but his love and zeal for the corinthian believers now human jealousy is based on selfishness i'm jealous because i want what you have give me give me give me give me right now godly or heavenly jealousy is is not self-centered it's not focused on me but the lord himself even said i am a jealous god but god is not jealous for us of us he's jealous for us he desires to have that intimacy with us And this is what Paul's talking about. I'm jealous for you and your walk with the Lord. I'm jealous that you would be where God desires you to be. I'm concerned for you. I care for you. I love you. Not I want to take from you, but I want to see you walking in the center of God's will. Paul's apostolic credentials are revealed in this zeal and love for them. And again, God's jealousy is love in action. He refuses to share his heart with any rival share the human heart with any rival. He knows it will lead to destruction. Why does God, have you ever thought about that? Why is God jealous? Why wouldn't God just care who we serve? Because you know what? He knows the end result. He knows that all other things that we serve will destroy us and he loves us. And you know, as much as I love my kids, if I knew that something they were going to follow would destroy them, I would be jealous to draw them back into the right place. That's the heart of God and that's the heart of Paul. He loves these people in an incredible way. And God, again, desires that we would walk with Him. And He's jealous when we put other things before Him. There's a concern that God has for our holiness, our integrity, our purity, and our standards before Him. Verse The rest of verse 2. For I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Now... In Paul's day, it was his responsibility of the father to ensure the virginity of his daughter at her wedding day. And we, can, we talked about this on a Wednesday night because we went through it. There was even proofs of virginity that they used. And if these proofs were not produced, it would shame the family and sometimes even lead to the death of the daughter. It was heavy. They didn't take that lightly at all. Now, Paul considers himself to be the father of the Corinthian believers, this spiritual father, not the heavenly father, but the spiritual father. And he says, I betrothed you to the Lord, and I want to present you to the Lord, a pure and holy church. And my heart is breaking to hear that you're falling away and following these false teachers, and I want to draw you back into right relationship before God. Paul, again, is the heart of a father, the heart of a pastor. And this is a, the spiritual father. He refers to them in 1 Corinthians as his beloved children. And it was Paul's responsibility to make sure that they remained pure, and they weren't seduced, and they didn't fall away. Now, Paul was not only the father of the, the bride, if you will, but he was a friend of the groom. Who's the groom? Jesus. Jesus. And he's a friend of the groom, and in that sense, he's also watching out for the groom that the bride would be pure, that the bride would be holy, the bride would be holy. Had a sincere burden for their spiritual walk with the Lord. He was so concerned. So, Paul's concern was the Christian church, or the Corinthian church, and their faithfulness to God, and the false apostles' concern was their stature before men. All they worried about was how many people are following me? You know, how many people know my name? How many people bought my latest book? How many people are being drawn into my crowd? How many people would consider me their leader? And that was their focus. And Paul's focus was, I want them to love Jesus. I want them to walk with God. I want them to spend eternity in the presence of the Lord, and I don't even care if they remember my name. That's the difference between someone who's called to pastor and shepherd and someone who feels called to draw men unto himself and build up a great following. Now I want to say this, not all who have a great following are outside of God's will, but I'll say this, most are. Because too often, who's getting the glory? Make sure, touch not the glory, amen? Let God alone be glorified. May people walk from the church building not talking about the pastor, but talking about the Lord. Not talking about the illustrations or the charisma of the speaker, or even the powerful way that the person played the guitar, or whatever it might be, but walking out talking about God is great. Amen? God loves me, and I want to know Him better, and His Word is so powerful, it's the Lord that should be glorified and magnified. And this is Paul's heart. I want to present you as a pure church. I want to present you as a church that's walking with God, that's not condoning, you know, a spiritual adultery and entering into relationships with other gods and thinking it's okay. It's not okay. And this is Paul's heart, verse 3. But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Paul had just compared the church to a virgin, soon to be presented as a bride, to the Redeemer, and he feared that they would be led astray by the tempter, just as the first woman had been. Eve was deceived by the serpent. Who's the serpent? It's Satan. Satan is the father of lies. What does Satan think about you? He hates you and he wants to destroy you. Period. Period. He seeks to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. Can I tell you, it breaks my heart. Most of you know, I was a youth pastor for many, many years. And it breaks my heart to see teenagers walking around with likenesses of Satan on t-shirts. Or bands that, "Ah, Satan, glorify Satan, highway to hell. Man, that should never come out of the mouth of a Christian, amen? And you know what? It breaks the heart of God. And these guys, again, were deceived. Eve was deceived. And he was concerned that they, too, would be led away you know what, how did Eve fall? How do we all typically fall? He appealed to her pride and by challenging the word. What did he say? You can be like God. You can be like God. You know what, every cult that exists deifies man and humanizes God. Makes man more than he is and God less than he is. Every cult on the planet tells you how you can be God. Tells you how great you are. How much God needs you. Hey, guess what? You're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. God doesn't need us. We need Him. Amen? And we're desperate for Him. And He alone is God. And I will never be God. And aren't you glad? Amen? Because I'm a simple and perfect man. I wouldn't want to be on a planet where I'm God. How about you? it would be a mess. I'd pop a cap and be smoking pee. I'd be a mess, right? But praise God that we serve a true and living God. And His heart was, look... Eve was deceived because she listened to the words of the enemy who said, you can be God. And then he challenged the word and said, does the word, did God really say you couldn't eat of that tree? His methods haven't changed. Does the Bible really say you can't sleep with your girlfriend? I mean, come on. This is 2005. Let's get out of the prudish stage. Get over it already. It's okay. No, it's not. Amen? Did God really say that it was okay? Did God really say? Yes, God really did say. And that's why we need to spend time in the Bible to know what God says exactly and apply it to our lives. Instead of trusting in and being faithful to the truth of God's word and the simplicity of the gospel, there was a simple message in the Garden of Eden. What was it? Don't touch that tree. What else? That's it. Don't touch that tree. Can we do anything else you want? Don't touch that tree. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And what do they do? Touch the tree. Human nature, right? Kids, don't touch these cookies. Guess what? Right? And that's the heart of man to fall and be deceived and follow after stuff like that. And God's heart would be again that we pursue Him. In the simplicity of the gospel, it's so simple the message of the gospel. You're a sinner, separated from God. God loves you so much you would have died and lived without you. He sent His Son to suffer and die and take all your sin upon Himself that you might have eternal life. Will you accept Him as your Savior? There's the gospel. There it is. Will you give your life over to Him? Make Him the Lord of your life. That's the Gospel. And He said, you're going to be drawn away by the wisdom of men. And we're just so eloquent. We've got so many different things you need to do. And these guys who came in were very legalistic and started pouring a bunch of rules upon the church. Instead of pursuing some new word or some new revelation, let's just pursue the simplicity of the Gospel. That's enough. Amen? You know what? I'm so glad that God didn't make it difficult. He didn't. But yet, that simple truth is so hard for so many to take because it means I have to get off the throne of my life. Just as Eve had been led in the wrong direction to see by the enemy, rejecting the truth of God's word, not to eat the forbidden fruit, so too these false teachers that come into the congregation, they'd attack Paul's message and said, just believing in Jesus and repenting of your sin, that's not enough. You must be circumcised. You must keep all of the Jewish law. And by the way, we've come up with a couple hundred more of our own. And if you don't keep them all, right? And if everybody's walking around feeling condemned, I can't do it, right? And that's not Christianity. It doesn't place a burden upon you. It takes the burden from you. That's what the Lord does. And Paul's heart is, guys, you're listening to these words. You're listening to these men. And all they're doing is attacking the truth of the gospel. There's something deeper that they needed to experience according to these people. It's not enough just to believe in the cross of Christ. Verse 4. For if he comes, preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit, which we have not received, or a different gospel you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He says, you know what, guys? I'm so concerned that you've gotten away from the simple truth. Now when someone comes in with a lie, you buy it. When someone comes in and preaches another gospel. Now, are people doing that today? Are people talking about another Jesus? What does that mean? Well, the Bible says that Jesus elevates his word. God elevates his word above all his name. Now, why does he elevate his word above his name? Because the name of, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, right? So that's a powerful name, no doubt about it. But you know what? People have taken the name of Jesus and made it mean something else. And that's why he elevates his word above his name, because his word defines his name. Because he is the word. Amen? I'll give you some examples. These false apostles again would come in and try to change the name of Jesus and change what his name meant. Today it's happening. The Jesus of the Mormons is the brother of Satan. If you didn't know that, he's the brother of Satan. And they were battling over which one would be the Messiah of this planet Satan or Jesus. This is a problem. This is not the Jesus of the Bible. But the Mormons are such good people. They're so wonderful, and their commercials are so great doesn't it kill you, the commercials are really good, and then by Latter-day Saints, oh, right? (laughs) Right, it's just such a good commercial, and you're like, this is great, and by the Mormon Latter-day Saints, oh. You know what? We can't be good enough to get into heaven, and so we can't be the nicest people in the world and have everything all, quote, all together. You know what? By the way, they don't, and nobody does. It doesn't have Christ, amen, because it's impossible. So don't be fooled by the picture on the outside, like these charismatic leaders. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses is Michael the Archangel. The Jesus of the Muslims is a lesser prophet to Muhammad. The Jesus of the New Age Movement is an elevated guru with a really shiny aura. You know what? That's not the Jesus of the Bible. But yet people come proclaiming another Jesus and people buy it. Why? Because they don't know the truth of the gospel. They've gotten away from the simplicity of the gospel, the, by, the cross of Christ is not enough. We've got to add nine more things to it. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We must respond to what he has done, but when we start saying, oh, but you must do this, then it's works-based salvation. Salvation is a free gift. If we had to work for it, as you've heard me say, it would be a paycheck. It's not a paycheck. Now, there should be good works. They should be flowing out of my life. What about another spirit? about the spirit of confusion, the spirit of uncontrollable emotion? People are being drunk in the Spirit today. Show me that in the Bible. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we won't be out of control, we'll be under God's control. Yeah. Amen? And it'll be manifest in the way that we love people. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace, not rolling in the floor and barking like a dog. Amen? That was weak, amen? Yeah. We don't need to do that. Now I want to make it real clear, I want to say something. The Holy Spirit does work through us, but we need to make sure that God is glorified in it. How do you know the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit will never draw attention away from the Lord. Will never draw attention away from the Father. And too often there's this big emotional thing, and where's the attention? Everybody's looking at the people. We need to be looking at the Lord, amen? Now, I believe we need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives in this church, amen? But at the same time, I also know that when the Holy Spirit moves, it will be under the control of the Father. It won't be out of control. So if someone comes preaching another spirit, you'll buy it, he said. Another Jesus, you guys will go for it. Why? Because you've gotten away from the simplicity of the gospel. Then he says, another gospel. Another path to salvation. Based on good works. Or based on another Savior. He said, you guys will put up with it. Paul warned the Galatians against receiving another Jesus. He said, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you've received, let him be accursed. You know what's interesting? He says, Even if an angel comes, how did the Mormon church start? An angel came and spoke to Joseph Smith and gave them another gospel. Do you have Galatians 1, 8, and 9 in your Bible? Now, again, I want to say this. I'm not capping on the Mormons. I love the Mormons and so does the Lord. Amen? But I don't love Mormonism. And I don't love the false gospel that's being taught, that's drawing people away from the simplicity of the gospel, that teaches that they will be God of their own planets one day. That's what the Mormon doctrine teaches. You're going to be God one day of your own planet, and that's why you need a bunch of wives, so you can populate it. Man... And you know what that means? You go backward. That means that Adam is a god from another planet who got this planet. If you just backtrack, right? That's a mess. That's not the case. And that's another gospel. Why he says it in his word, that he elevates his word above all his name, because people have taken his name and made it mean something else. May we not be a church that would put up with another gospel. May we not be a church that would put up with someone coming in and teaching something that's contrary to the truth. No matter how good it looks, no matter how nice the presentation, no matter how well dressed the person is, no matter how charismatic the delivery of the message is, may we not put up with a false gospel. Amen? Why? Because in the end it leads to destruction. It's not something to just gloss over. I've also heard people say this to me. They they talk about Jesus and they want to accommodate him to their lifestyle. My Jesus would never do that. My Jesus would never send anybody to, your Jesus doesn't exist. I've told people that. Well, my Jesus said it's okay for me to, I prayed and my Jesus told me, oh, stop it, your Jesus doesn't exist. He will never contradict his word, amen? Have you heard of this thing called the Jesus Seminar? This is the stupidest thing ever. Here's what they do, they read parts of the Bible, then they vote on whether or not Jesus said it. Like that's gonna change it. And they drop a black ball or a white ball. Oh, he didn't say it. There's eight black balls, two black balls. Oh, take it out, right? Jesus would never say that. It's just insane. And you know what? We got churches all over Santa Cruz County that say Jesus never said that. Why? Because they've gotten away from the simplicity of the gospel. Can you see where Paul's heart is coming from? Guys, I was to present you to the Lord. And you've gotten away because these guys are eloquent and they, they wear good-looking clothes and they're just sharp and you know, they're, they seem more educated than me. And you know what? You're putting up with it. The problem wasn't as much the false teachers as much as that the church was putting up with it. And again, we got the same problem today. To recognize the counterfeit, you must know the truth. Amen? You want to recognize the counterfeit? Know the truth. I don't have to hear more than 10 words out of most people's mouth and I know if they're legit or not. I can listen, first of all, it's a discernment of the Holy Spirit, but also you better know the Bible. And if you know the Word, you go, oh, that's, that, this guy's out of his mind. W- where did you get that? Because that didn't come from the Lord, amen? But if we walk around and we don't read our Bible and we don't spend time, we just turn on TV and go, oh, that sounds good, this guy's charismatic, look at the band, this is great, right? We'll just start following down the wrong road. And before we know it, we'll look up and we're following a cult leader. To truly know the God of the Word, you must know the Word of God, amen? And that's the key for every one of us in this room. The acid test for all prophecy, for all spiritual moves of God, for every pastor, every teacher, every evangelist, every ministry that exists is God's word. That's the the acid test right here. It's in your hand. Why do I make every one of you get a Bible every time we have church? If you're going to about raise your hand, we give you one. Why? By the way, if you don't have one at home, take that, please. And I want you to read it this week. Amen? Why? My man, I'm struggling in my life. How much time have you spent in the Word lately? I haven't spent any. Well, there's the answer. Because God's word is the roadmap for life, and God's word keeps us from falling into these pitfalls. And Paul knew that. And Paul's foolish boasting was motivated by a sincere burden, love, and concern for the saints and their faithfulness to God. He desired to protect them. My desire is to protect you. It's to protect you from the person who would come along and teach a false gospel that you wouldn't hear it. You'd recognize, oh, that's a lie. How are you going to know that? Know the truth. Move on to the second portion. Now he's going to talk about a desire to warn them about the false apostles who are in their midst even now. These deceitful workers posing as angels of light. Look at verse 5. For I consider that I am not all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now he's not talking about Peter, James, and John. He's talking in context about the most eminent apostles walking around Corinth, proclaiming themselves... To be greater than Paul, proclaiming themselves, hey, we're eloquent, we're educated, we're the guys, look how much better looking we are. Look, you know, this happened once before, many times before, but one clear time was when the word came from God that man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Israel cried out for a king, and they chose a man by the name of Saul. Because Saul was yoked and good looking. It's in the Bible. He was yoked. He was good-looking. He was the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the day, only taller. Now we've got one for governor, but hey, it's amazing. So he's got this tall, yoked guy that they're all following after. And God says, no. Samuel went out to look, and each of these big brothers came in, and they weren't, and said, you know what? Don't look as man looks. Man looks on the outer appearance. God looks on the heart. And the one he chose was David. And David was a little ruddy guy. Little ruddy guy, teenager. And God said, this is my guy. Why? Because God looks at the heart not the size of the man. Amen? It's the size of our God that matters, not the size of the man. Amen? And our God is great. And so this is Paul's concern. And Paul says, look, these most eminent apostles who are walking around, you're following them much like your ancestors followed after Saul. And if you keep following them, the end is going to be destruction. Paul is no doubt speaking sarcastically about these false apostles. Again, men who many came to prefer over Paul. And what's amazing about this, Paul was their pastor. Paul was the guy that led them to the Lord. Paul was the guy that showed up in Corinth in the middle of all the idolatry and started preaching Jesus. And Paul was the one that was persecuted there and stayed there and loved them and established a church and saw it grow and ministered to them and he leaves and all of a sudden somebody else comes in with a new word but just, man, that guy's charismatic. Wow, that guy, he's such a good speaker. By the way, I'm blown away, even in our political society today, you'll watch a debate between presidential candidates, and they'll say so-and-so won because that guy said um twice. We said um, um, he stuttered. Oh, that, that, that cost him some points. Who cares? It's the content of the message, amen? Not how, how eloquent the speaker is. He spelled potato wrong. Don't put him in office, right? And we got all this stuff that we follow after instead of saying, what's the content of the message? What's the heart of the person? These men proclaimed themselves to be greater than all who had come before. They added to the simplicity of the gospel. They added rules and regulations. These guys were self-righteous. They were legalistic. And they had a bunch of regulations and bondage they placed upon the people. You know what? And this is going to be direct, and I know you'd be surprised that I do that. But false teachers, here's the word for them, parasites. Because here's what they do. They can never start a church of their own. It doesn't work. Come to my church. I'm going to put bondage on you. Now that doesn't work very well. People don't tend to go for that. So you know what they do instead? They go where God is doing a work, like Paul had done in Corinth, a thriving, growing, healthy church, and they come in and they start picking off people and drawing them away to their way of belief. That's exactly what they do. And it was happening then. Paul, this church had grown, not because these false apostles came in, Not because they sacrificed and went in and shared the truth. Instead, they found where a work was healthy and they came in and attacked it. That's exactly what the false apostles did then. And it's exactly what they do today. Men who came in and sought to build on another man's foundation. Paul had labored and toiled and planted the church. And now these false teachers, these parasites, came in and attempted to to feed off his labors in the truth. And to draw men unto themselves. These were wolves in sheep's clothing. And they always seek a healthy host that they can attack. Because again, they can never build something on their own. Today there are those recruiting Christians to their doctrinal bent. And rather than reaching out to the lost with the gospel, they want to, and you know what, we have it even in this church. You know, we're a fairly new church. God's blessing, church is growing, God's doing great things. And we have people come in where I get emails and phone calls from people dragging people over to their house and pounding on them their new, oh, but, well, Pastor Dave doesn't quite get it. There's some more stuff you need to understand. And here it is. You can say, Pastor Dave doesn't get it all you want. That's fine. But the Bible does get it. Amen? And when you start saying, yeah, but you got to look at this thing, and they do that, and it just kills me. You want to see your pastor get mad? Have people come in and start picking off sheep. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. And you know what? If you're here and you're a parasite, God bless you and that's all right. But you know what? You better not be picking on the sheep in here. Amen? (laughs) We have eight pastors for a reason, right? (laughs) Paul was the least of the apostles, not inferior to the apostles, not these apostles, not these false apostles. And again, my heart is because I love you guys and I want to see you walk in the center of God's will and I don't want you to be drawn away by some false doctrine by some person who's trying to build again a following unto themselves hey if you leave here and you go to another bible believing church i'm excited that's great praise the lord by the way we're all on the same team in santa cruz county amen and you know what if you haven't heard santa cruz bible got a pastor praise god we as a church have been praying for years and this is wonderful we need to pray his name is dean we need to pray for him pray that god will use him in a mighty way i'm looking forward to meeting him it's wonderful we're all on the same side amen but at the same time, if someone comes in and starts picking off people and drawing them away to a lie that's going to take their eyes off of the Savior, then I'm, well, God help me and let me do it in love. Right? Verse 6. Even though I am untrained in speech. Paul says, you know, I'm untrained in speech. Paul knew the truth of the gospel. He wasn't worried about being polished or entertaining. He was concerned with faithfully preaching the gospel. He wasn't worried if people thought he was... You know, a good speaker. I hope they, oh, I said um, how many times I say it? Driving home with his wife, goes, what, how many times I say um today? No, he didn't do that. All he was worried about was the gospel getting out. Let me deliver the message. Let lives be touched and transformed. That's my heart. And what people think about me personally is really irrelevant. Now, the false apostles cared only what people thought about them. That was their only focus, their only passion, and their only heart. But look what he says here. I'm untrained in speech. Yet I am not in knowledge. Now again, Paul doesn't like boasting about himself, but at this point he's letting them know, I know the truth. I know the truth. I may not be as eloquent, I may not be able to deliver a message the way they can, but I know the truth. And not only do I know the word of God, I know the God of the word. Amen? A story is told at a dinner party where guests were expected to stand before a meal and recite something for a group. And a famous actor was present, and he recited the 23rd psalm with great dramatic flair and emotion and sat down to great applause. Then a very simple man got up and began to recite the same psalm. He wasn't very eloquent, so at first some thought it was a little funny. But as his presentation his presentation was straight from his heart. And so when he finished, the group sat in respectful silence. It was obvious that the simple man's presentation was more powerful than the actor's. And afterward, the actor came up and told him, I know the psalm, but you know the shepherd. The difference is not how eloquent we can orate, but do, does it come from our heart and do we know God? It's, not just, know, it's knowing the God, not just knowing the word of God, but knowing the God of the word, amen? Having been touched by him, lives impacted by Him, walking filled with the Holy Spirit. And if I stutter, it's irrelevant because the Word of God is powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, not the words of men. Amen? And so this is Paul's heart. Look, I am not in knowledge, but we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Paul's saying, you know what? You've seen everything about me. You know all about me. I'm not a real polished guy. But he was honest, he was transparent, and he knew the Word. He was very open with the people. He never tried to be something he wasn't. He never put on airs. He said, here's who I am. But I want, you more importantly, I want you to know who God is. Verse 7. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Paul came in humbly to minister and to serve them, not as an apostolic big shot. Now, by the time he came to Corinth, he could have said, Apostle Paul entering the building, right? I mean, he could have had people running before him. The Apostle Paul is coming, blah, 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 right? You know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? He didn't do that. What did he do? He came in humbly. He didn't ask for anything. He taught the truth in love, out of concern for the people. Paul had not allowed them to support him. But you know what the most eminent apostles were doing? Fleecing the flock. These most eminent apostles came in and said, now... We are charismatic speakers and well-trained, and for you to listen to us, you must bless us with some money to support us because, you know, we're blessing you with our oration. And they thought they were so eloquent and so wonderful, and so they were fleecing the flock. You know what? A public speaker in those days who took no money was considered to be an amateur because they said, well, if you'll come out and speak for free, you must not be very good. Paul's coming and speaking for free. we got to pay these guys a bunch of money. They must be the ones with the real message. Because we have to give them a lot of money. How backwards is that? Because someone's ministry draws in a lot of money. That must be the truth. No, too often it's the greatest lie ever. Those who demanded high fees were regarded as professionals with an important message. But Paul came humbly and gladly and lovingly delivered the powerful truth of the message free of charge. Why did he do it free of charge? Because he didn't want to stumble anybody. He didn't want anybody to think he was in it for the money. He said, I'm here because I love you. I'll, be, I'll make tents. It's fine. I'll make tents and I'll come deliver the gospel free of charge because the gospel is free. And that's why I want to deliver it to you Free. And I don't want you to think you have to pay to hear the truth. Accusers said it proved his message, message had no value. Verse 8. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. Now, he didn't literally rob other churches. Paul didn't go in with a spear and say, give me money. Yeah, that's not what happened. What happened was that other people were so burdened for Corinth that they gave money to Paul to go down to Corinth and minister to the people. And Paul said, you know, others gave that I might minister to you. Others supported the ministry so that I might come and care for you. Again, Paul's heart. Others had sacrificed so that he might minister more effectively in Corinth. Now I want you to know, too, again, most often Paul supported himself. On a few occasions like this one, people from Philippi, in this case, had given money so Paul could go to Corinth and minister to the Corinthians. Missionary work. It's just what we do when we give money to missions so people can go out and share the gospel with somebody else who doesn't either have the money or the desire for them to come. This was the heart of the Philippian believers. Verse 9, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. Paul had asked for nothing of them. These false prophets asked for everything. Paul didn't want anything. Paul never asked for their money. They asked for money all the time. Seeing a trend here? You watch a TV program, we need your money, we're going off the air. Then go off the air. Because where God guides, God provides. Amen? We will never, ever, 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 ever ask you for any money in this church ever. Why? Because God alone is the one who provides, amen? And I don't want you to give because, oh, I better give. The things come about. Don't give. Don't do that. God loves a hilarious, a cheerful giver. We don't even pass an offering. Why? Because I don't want anybody to tip God. I better put something in. Don't do that. Give with purpose as a heart, out of a heart of worship. Amen? And this was Paul. Paul said, don't give. I don't want, I'm not looking for anything from you. I just want to give to you, not take from you. I just want to minister the gospel to you. And in, instead, these guys came in and said, well, I'm worth a lot of money. You have no, if you guys don't pay it, we're going to go down the road. They pay well down up in Philippi or somewhere else, right? I'm gonna go to Thessalonica if you guys don't kick down. And you know, this is what happens. This is what happens. Well, we won't be on your radio station anymore if you guys don't come through. You heard that? A thousand times? You better, you better succumb through. Or we're not going ca- you know what? How faithless is that? Does our father own the cattle on a thousand hills? Do we need to beg people for money? That's weak. That's so weak. We're not going to do that. Why? You know what's interesting? Most of you know, we're on the radio. We've never asked for any money on the radio, ever. And you know the radio takes care of itself. Why? Because we God guides, God provides. Amen? That God's a faithful God. You don't have to do that. And Paul's heart was, look, I didn't come in asking for anything. I didn't even burden you for a crust of bread. You know what? The people from Macedonia came. I don't want you to think my motives are impure. I love you guys. That's why I'm here. I'm sharing the gospel. It's a free gift. Praise God for Paul. Amen? What a great example. And he's being bashed for it. He must not be very good. He doesn't charge. He must be an amateur. Oh, I've seen him that bow-legged little guy with the... Oh, yeah, he's an amateur. Oh, no wonder he didn't charge. He ought to pay you to talk, right? I mean, this is how Paul is being bashed. But Paul is bringing truth. And this is why we must listen to content of the message, not the one delivering it. Verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from his boasting. this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Again, as Christ is in me, with God as my witness, as a Christian man, as sure as Christ is the truth and dwells in me, no one's going to stop me from preaching the gospel. Now there is the heart of one called by God. Amen? He said, no one's going to stop me from doing it free of charge. You can taunt me and mock me and say I'm an amateur. It doesn't make any difference. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for the Lord. And I'm going to be faithful to do what God has called me to do that he had boldly preached the truth in Corinth, again, leading to the planting of the church, the salvation of many, he would not stop in sharing the truth of the gospel. Paul had never taken a dime from them, been a burden in any way, not because he was an amateur or unworthy of being supported. Why? Look at verse 11. Why? Why do I do this? Why do I come free of charge? Why do I not ask you for anything? Because I do not love you? God knows. Here's what he says. Did I... Come here and do it free of charge because I don't care about you. See, these false apostles were accusing Paul of not loving them and not caring about them because he had gone away and he didn't come back as quick as he said he would. He was off on another uh, ministry. And they said, see, he doesn't really care. And Paul said, wait a minute. Why did I come here? Why did I plant the church? Why did I spend time loving you guys? Why did I share the gospel repeatedly with simplicity and never ask for a dime because I don't love you? And then he says, God knows. And basically what he says here, God be my judge. God knows my heart. God knows where I'm at. And you know what? That needs to be our heart. Again, is to do it for the Lord, not for the praise of men. Amen? And we're not going to get to verse 21. The great thing about teaching verse by verse is you can stop and pick up the next week. Amen? But then you have to come back. So there it is. Look at verse 12. I didn't get the rest of it. Then he have to come back. Verse 12. But what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. He says, you know what? I'm going to keep preaching the gospel to cut off these guys who are coming in here trying to fleece the sheep. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep doing it for free. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to stop. And I'm going to do it with all my heart. Paul was motivated not by fame or power or position or financial gain, but was an apostle sent by God with a love for the people. And again, he's going to expose the motives of the false apostles. And you know what he says here? And we'll look at two more verses and stop. But you know what he's saying here? He's saying, look, I'd come here for free. How would it work out if you stopped paying those guys? I wonder how often they'd come back. And we're going to see next week, he's going to give an example of all that he's been through, and he's going to say, I wonder how they would do in the midst of those kind of difficulties. I wonder if they would continue on in, in, quote, bringing their message. Would they flee when the gig was no longer profitable? Would they run out when it was no longer... Paul wasn't there for a gig. Paul was there because he loved the people. He says there in verse 13 and 14, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Now, I'm gonna, that's a thick verse, so we'll pick up there next week. We'll pick up in verse 13 and 14. But here's the point he's making. There are those who come in and proclaim to be of God that are not of God at all. There's a claim that those who make themselves apostles, give themselves authority. The authority doesn't come from man, it comes from God. Amen? And you know what? When we make pastors in this church, we don't give them authority. God's already done it, and we just recognize it. Amen? And the same is true here. Paul says these guys are proclaiming to be something, but guess what? They're just like their dad. What, do you think, what does he call them later? Sons of the devil. That's pretty direct, right? You thought your pastor was direct. Look at Paul. You guys are sons of the devil. You're the angel of light. You're just following after the enemy. So can I encourage each of us that you know may we not be so caught up with the outward appearance and instead look at the content of the message. Amen? Not be so caught up with the latest trend and the latest thing, but instead, let's meet the Lord when we come to church on Sunday. Let's not come here to be entertained, but to be fed. Amen? Not come here just to, to see how funny the pastor is going to be or, or how soft the chairs aren't going to be, right? But come to church on Sunday and say, you know, Lord, I want minister, to be ministered to and minister to others. I want to draw near to you. I want to leave here more in love with you than the way I came. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the clear examples of scripture. Father, I do pray, Lord, for us, that our eyes would be upon you, upon the message, not the messenger. Lord, that our, our focus would be on the content of the message. I pray you'd give us all supernatural discernment, The Lord, we would not fall into the traps of listening to a charismatic message that leads away from truth. But Lord, we'd hunger and thirst for the truth of your word. Lord, give us a greater passion to be in your word throughout the the week, every single day, Lord, that we might recognize the counterfeits that are all around us. May we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. So, Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.